Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, husband. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. everybody welcome back to the three technique a college football podcast at the intersection of the x's and o's and the jimmies and the joes i'm mitch mason with trey reeves and garrett turney fellas it's raining outside uh we got a nice little thunderstorm roll through literally i think the first raindrops that i've seen in over three months maybe uh it, it has been quite a while and it feels like the first time in ages that it's been under 100 degrees here in the greater Metroplex area. Um, but fellas, we've got the temperature turned up on the SEC West preview this time around. Our final division of Power 5 previews. We'll get to Group of 5 and Independence next week. Uh, but guys, a lot of people have been waiting on our thoughts uh, for the SEC West. And if you are one of those people, congratulations. Today's the day. Uh, you have let us know on our Twitter at 3TechPod, also on Instagram, and maybe you've even written into the show, 3TechPod at gmail.com. The rankings, the, the reviews, everything continues to roll in. I will ask this. If you are enjoying the show, tell a friend. Uh, let them know. College football season is right around the corner, and we would love to have everybody on board this boat as we possibly can. If you do follow the show already and you've not rated us on Spotify or over on uh, Apple Music, if you wouldn't mind heading over there and giving us a rating, it helps with the algorithm, it helps other people discover the podcast, and uh, helps us continue to grow. And uh, that's what we've enjoyed doing so far with the support of loyal listeners like you. The numbers continue to rise, and uh, we're just having a fantastic time getting to do all this. But, fellas, uh, we do, before we get into the preview, want to break just, or not break a little bit of news, but cover a little bit of news came out the morning of recording this that Sam Hartman, Wake Forest uh, fifth-year senior quarterback, is going to be out for an extended period of time with an undisclosed medical uh, issue. According to a Wake beat reporter, after a practice, he sought medical attention. This would have been yesterday on Tuesday. Uh, Basically, from the results of those tests, the school is saying that he is out and sidelined for an indefinite period of time. So first of all, on behalf of the Three Tech Pod, uh, prayers to Sam Hartman and his family. Uh, Garrett, when you look at Wake Forest, you know that was a big reason why we picked Wake to be explosive in the ACC. Um, how does Wake go about kind of dealing with this loss, not only of their top ball player on offense, but also their top leader on that team as well? 
Well, I mean, first off, you know, like Mitch said, obviously thoughts and prayers going out that this is more important that he gets healthy than the football side of things. But on the football side of things, a big factor in Wake being so good this year was going to be all that leadership they brought back. Now, they brought back just about everybody from that team last year, which is definitely going to help when you need to replace a guy uh, like Sam. But, you know, it's man, it's just a gutting blow. A lot of times you get those quarterbacks kind of being the heart and soul of the team. Um, And so man, having to replace that is just, it's going to be difficult for them to do. I would much rather have the kind of team Wake has and the kind of, you know, culture that Wake has right now. But man, I mean, you just can't replace that kind of a, that kind of a guy in your locker room. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, Trey, you hate to like speculate on the football side of things, and we're certainly not going to speculate on the medical side of things, but where in your opinion does this drop Wake Forest. Does this kind of take them out of the running? Um, you know, with with so few details known, we don't know how long he's going to be out or, or what. But a season without Sam Hartman, you got to think that that hurts the Demon Deacons offensively. Yeah, I, I mean, anytime you have a backup quarterback come in, it's usually good for a couple losses that you weren't expecting. I mean, I personally had him at nine and three before the situation came up. I know you guys, uh, Mitch, you had him all the way up looking back at our predictions as high as like 11 and one in that division. And I don't think those heights are necessarily as achievable unless someone just completely steps up, right? Like you, you have the stories all the time of a backup quarterback just stepping up. And I do think they have the scheme that's still going to give a lot of people a lot of trouble. And they do have talent at other positions that'll help um, whoever's manning that position out. We also don't know the timeline. It could just be temporary thing that they're trying to figure out. So don't want to write him off just yet, but it's not looking great for the Deeks right now. Yeah, I know. Just, uh, you know, a family that's a small, small private school. They've loved their football, even in the days when they weren't very good. And so to have, you know, one of their own kind of affected like this is is tough. The The one maybe bright spot that I will say is that Sam himself released a statement and, and referred to the day as frustrating um, which maybe leads me to believe that it's not, you know, something terribly, terribly serious. But again, cer- certainly don't want to speculate on that. We'll wait for for more news to come out, more headlines to come out. But uh, bottom line, prayers uh, over to Sam and his family, and uh, hoping for a speedy recovery. Uh, boys, with with that covered, let's go ahead and jump into the SEC West preview and. Uh, you know, we've been doing them alphabetically, not by any sort of power ranking. But I think in this case, alphabetical and power ranking uh, coincide. We're starting with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Saban made headlines last week when he called the 2021 season a rebuilding year for the Crimson Tide. Um, as is true for most rebuilding teams, they won the SEC West. They beat the national champion in the conference championship game. Came within the fourth quarter of winning the national championship. And by the way, their quarterback won the Heisman. So. Simple rebuilding year. I think Nick Saban lives in an NCAA 14 world. Um, but the the lows for the Alabama season were this. They did drop two whole games. Heaven forbid the Tide have an even close to average record. Um, but they only lost seven players to the NFL draft. Now, if you're chuckling at home, in the car, at work, along with me, uh, please understand that that is sarcastic to the max. Only losing seven players and still reloading, rebuilding is truly something that only Alabama seems to do. 
Uh, they are back in waves this year. They have got some of the most talented kids on this roster that I think Bama has ever seen. And we'll get into that in just a second. Plus, guys, they attacked the transfer portal. They signed the second best class in the high school ranks with the highest average recruiting ranking and returns maybe both the best player in the country on offense and defense. I don't think anybody is losing sleep over an 8-4, and 9-3 and three Alabama record here in 2022. So let's get into the offense. Bryce Young, unquestioned leader on this team at the quarterback position. He shined last season, proved he's worth every bit of hype, won the Heisman. Uh, he is the preseason Heisman favorite, although I, I don't ever believe that someone's going to repeat as a Heisman. It's just so incredibly impossible to do. And to be quite honest, the media almost seems to discount you or punish you uh, if you have just won the Heisman. For the sake of variety, parody, what have you, who knows what the Associated Press does. Uh, but the money, I think the smart money, is on Bryce Young not repeating this year. That being said... If his offensive line is any better this season, he could put up better numbers than he did a season ago. At the running back spot, Brian Robinson's gone to the draft, but somehow, in true Nick Saban fashion, he found a way to upgrade. Jameer Gibbs, interstage right from Georgia Tech. He's the best running back you have never heard of if you're not a hardcore college football fan or if you missed our ACC preview where we talked about him leaving Georgia Tech. He was truly the only positive thing that went well for the rambling wreck last year. And Nick Saban told Jeff Collins to go jump in a lake and, and poached his best player from him. Gibbs is a perfect combination of size, speed, power. He flashed in the spring game. He'll run you over. He can bounce it outside and get to the sideline and then beat you in a track race. He's that special. So Jameer Gibbs, you know, as great as Brian Robinson was, as physical a runner as he was, and you know, maybe as, as successful of a career as he might have in the NFL, Jameer Gibbs is the better running back in every single way. Um, behind him, in case he's not enough, you also have former five stars Trey Sanders and Jace McClellan, who are also waiting for snaps. Alabama's running back backfield, so talented, they lost a former five star in Kamara Wheaton. You don't even blink when you look at their depth chart. Like, you do not notice his absence in Tuscaloosa. Uh, over to the wide receivers. You've lost Jamison Williams, John Mechie III from that receiving core a season ago, but Jermaine Burton, all he does is transfer in from Georgia, just won a national championship, and then Tyler Harrell has transferred in from Louisville, although Nick Saban potentially a little bit critical of uh, maybe some unfocused efforts in uh, fall practice so far. That being said, though, a lot of speed, a lot of talent in this receiving core. Then you throw in guys like Treshawn Holden, and before he got hurt, which literally happened today, uh, August the 10th, JoJo Earl broke his foot. When Earl is back, he's an All-American type performer. Uh, that being said, though, he's out six to eight weeks. So Alabama's receiving core takes a little bit of a hit with that news this morning. I still think they're going to be just fine. They have a number of tight ends as well that they can throw to, so plenty of pass catchers for Bryce Young. Now, as I alluded to off the top, the offensive line was the weak spot for this offense a season ago. And you saw that in their losses to Texas A&M during the regular season in Georgia in the national championship. Uh, the offensive line could not protect Bryce Young at an elite level. In fact, they ranked in the 70s in both rushing push and pass protection, according to our friends over at Pick 6 Preview. So a very average offensive line 
by any standards, let alone Alabama Crimson Tide Championship winning standards. Um, they do have to replace Evan Neal after being taken in the first round. They do bring in Tyler Steen, who Garrett, you alluded to, is the lone bright spot for a Vanderbilt team last season. He has jumped ship from Nashville and is going to win a championship now in T-Town. So some unproven items there on that offensive line. That's the one area that gives me cause for pause, uh, to be quite honest. But it is Alabama. They nearly won a national championship with, by definition, average offensive line play last season. And, you know, having a, a reigning Heisman Trophy winner to run around to make plays with his arm and his feet, not a bad deal either. Over the defense, the best player in the country is Will Anderson coming off the edge. Honestly, if you truly believe in just blind taste tests and giving the Heisman to the best, most impactful player, it should have gone to Will Anderson. And yet the Associated Press Heisman voter hierarchy did not make that so because, let's be honest, the Heisman goes to the best offensive player, not the best total player in college football. That being said, though, Will Anderson back last season. Gentlemen, he led the league in tackles for loss, sacks, and was a unanimous first-team All-American. Not just the SEC, mind you. We're talking all of college football. He's an unstoppable wreck, and I think he's going to be once again paying taxes in opposing backfields this season. Also, by the way, five stars, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, probably make up the best pass-rushing trio in the country. Um, so Alabama is going to be sacking your quarterback, no matter which team you are, quite a bit this season. Behind that defensive line is a very talented linebacking core as well. Henry Toe Toe transferred in from Tennessee two seasons ago. He's back for his final season as the captain at middle linebacker. The question, quote unquote, of this Bama secondary, or this Bama team, I should say, was the secondary. Uh, they were a touch young last year, and honestly, after Patrick Sertan left, they struggled to find a true leader in that backfield. DeMarco Hellams and Jordan Battle are back as leading safeties for the Tide. Plus, they also get their nickel back in Brian Branch to return. And then you've got one of the coolest names in all of college football, Kool-Aid McKistry. He's back uh, at CB, well, maybe CB2. LSU transfer Eli Ricks is joining him on the opposite side of the field as the other cornerback. So rank them one or two, however way you want to. The point is, the secondary is going to be scary. LSU losing Eli Ricks was a huge blow to them, as I'm actually going to talk about here in a little bit with the LSU preview. But... Uh, LSU's loss is Bama's gain, so if you're a Tide fan, get ready. Your secondary should be a lot improved. My fun fact for Alabama, they were a top 10 defensive unit in nearly every metric until you got to the passing game. Not used to saying that Bama needed to improve defensively to claim a national championship, but when you look at the numbers, this secondary honestly needs to be quite a bit better in 2022 if they want to run the table and then knock off a team like you know Ohio State, who they could very easily see in the national championship game. Uh, floor and ceiling, presented by Bet Online, not a sponsor, but they could be, is at 10.5. The over-under is at 10.5, I should say. Uh, I've got Bama going 12-0. I don't know if I fully believe that they're going to go to 12-0 because their schedule is actually surprisingly challenging this season. But Bama is one of, if not the most talented team in the country, and so I, I we'll go through their schedule in just a second. If they can navigate tricky road games at Arkansas, at Tennessee, LSU, and Ole Miss all on the road, plus Texas in week two, I mean, they're going to prove hand over fist that they're the best team in the league. Um, so I'll say they go 12-0, and take that over. 
I, I don't think that uh, betting against Saban is a smart financial decision. So uh, I'll, I'll say they go 12 and 0. Their danger zone for the Crimson Tide. Tough middle stretch for Alabama. Week five through eight, they're at Arkansas versus Texas A&M at Tennessee and versus Mississippi State. Uh, Trey, you're getting ready to talk about Arkansas here in a little bit. They, uh, I mean, they they gave them a game last year. They absolutely did. The Hogs pushed the tide. Um, but if Alabama can get through Arkansas and then the biggest revenge game of the season, I think on anybody's calendar, Bama against Texas A&M, uh, then I think they've got enough momentum to to go to Rocky Top, beat Tennessee, and then come home and beat the Cowbells uh, in Tuscaloosa. So there you go. Alabama, kind of business as usual. 12-0 and 0 certainly seems like it could be on the cards. It, you say business as usual. Alabama just seems like they are out with a list this year. And they... For whatever reason, you know, Nick Saban has taken the recruiting battles. He's taken the um, media sessions. He's just taken everything a lot more personally this offseason. If you're on the schedule of the Alabama Crimson side, I would not expect a lot of mercy from <laughs> that head coach this year. He, he he just seems like a man on a mission this year. Uh, the the talk was that it was a down year last year. They still win the SEC, of course. They still make it to the national championship game. He fully believes that. If you listen to him talk, he had to adjust his mindset of how he coached that team last year. They weren't as ready for the toughness that he usually instills in practice. He had to be a little bit more, take it a little easier on him. If you listen to him talk to um, just his process for that team last year, so... I don't think he's going to necessarily need to use those kid gloves anymore this year. I think he's built that team back up. And if it's not Ohio State, I think it's going to be Alabama that's uh, experiencing the confetti at the end of the year this year. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I think, yeah, Bama's going to be filthy. Nick Saban's in a bad mood, and that should make everyone else scared. Um, I think if you're going to look for one place where Bama is not necessarily elite, I do think you have to peek at their wide receiver room. Obviously, they got plenty of talent there. Um, but I, I think I had seen Saban say something about uh, Tyler Harrell not necessarily living up to the billing. Um, and then also you have uh, JoJo obviously going down with the injury today. I think you have to think about them not necessarily being the most elite at that spot, they might have like one or two options, which for Bama is a little down from what they're used to. You know, they've certainly had their, you know, four or five guys who are all impossible to cover in the past. So um, that is nitpicking, though. I'm not saying that Bama is going to be weak at receiver. I'm just absolutely nitpicking this. So, um, look, they're going to be fantastic. I have nothing bad to say about Alabama this year. Um, especially because I think if I said something bad about Alabama, you know, Nick Saban would get mad at me and you know, I don't know, eat me or something. And I'm just, I don't want to deal with that. He's in a bad mood and I don't like it. I fully expect Bama to, to flex that muscle. I think honestly, we're going to be talking exactly, you know, last year they seemed a little bit mortal when they lost to Texas A&M on the road, right? And it broke all the streaks that never you know, losing to a former assistant, they had won I think eleven or eleven a hundred straight uh, games against non-ranked opponents, and it made Alabama seem a little bit mortal, right? The offensive line did not play well this year, despite how the offensive line plays, whether they're elite, quote unquote, or not. 
I think we're going to get back to the Alabama of old where it's like, okay, you went nine and three, 10 and two, but one of those losses was to Alabama. So exclude that from the rest of the sample and now evaluate your team, right? I mean, that's how it's been for so many years. I think that's how it's going to be. So Crimson Tide, uh, gosh, they're going to be, they're going to be all kinds of fun to watch. Look, we'll uh, be talking but, about them at the end of the season. That's all you need to know. We'll be talking right. about them and Ohio State or, you know, one of those teams at the end of the season. So that's it. Now, Trey, if you believe the hype, another team that we could be talking about at the end of the season is the Arkansas Razorbacks. But you're smiling, so I don't know if that fits into your narrative or not. Well, listen, I'll, I'll go ahead and give it to him. Because that hype in Northwest Arkansas is absolutely real. And look, if you would have told me to, this time two years ago that Sam Pittman would be where he has the Razorbacks right now, I would have personally laughed at you. I was not confident about that hire. And they were coming off of two years of Chad Morris that was just pitiful football. And if we had this show in the spring of 2020, I would have been pushing for him to be at the top of that list of those head-scratching head coach hires. But, I mean, let me be first in line to eat my crow. You know, fast forward two years, he looks like he's turned the program completely around. They won nine games, which was more than double the amount of the whole Chad Morris era. Um, And last year, they win the bowl game right against Penn State. They won a Texas State championship by knocking off Texas and A&M. And they finished ranked for the first time since Bobby Petrino's final season in 2011. That was the last that was time they a memorable finished. one. It was a memorable exit for Mr. <laughs> Petrino. Um, but yeah, I digress. They, they finished ranked for the first time since then. And, you know, they didn't just win one type of game. I think that's what I was most impressed about when you go back and look at Arkansas last year. They could get in a shootout, and they could pull that out. They could win a defensive slugfest. That's usually the sign of a really good team is they can win multiple types of games, but they have an exciting offense. They've got a solid defense coming back. Their fan base is bought into that yes, sir, culture uh, from Sam Pittman, and they're riding high up there, and I, I think that's justified. So when you look at their offense – their stats don't really jump off the page as being elite. They were 27th in total offense last year, 48th in scoring. But, man, just turn on the tape. Just watch the Texas game. Watch the Ole Miss game. Watch the Alabama game. They're really, really exciting to watch on this side of the ball. It all starts with K.J. Jefferson, of course. I was texting you guys a couple weeks ago. I went back and watched the Ole Miss game where they did come up short in that game. They go for two. on the At the last second after scoring a touchdown, they could have tied it with the extra point. They decided to go to for two and they miss it lose 52 51 but man kj jefferson was an absolute problem in that game and throughout the whole season 27 total touchdowns just four interceptions really good at taking care of the ball really good at making the read or escaping the pocket when he needs to he looks amazing in that kendall browse offense that's really focused on making your read finding your open receiver and just pushing the tempo um He's back. He's going to lead that offense again this year. I don't see any reason to think that he's going to step back this year. Um, when you look at the pieces around him, they did utilize the three-headed monster at running back last year. It was a really impressive rotation with uh, three guys that went for at least 575 yards. On its own, And that doesn't seem great but for a one person. When you have three guys that you can just rotate in freshly all game, 
getting that kind of production. We're talking over five yards of carry for all three of them. That was really impressive. Two out of the three are back. They lost Traylon Smith to UTSA, but they are bringing back Raheem Sanders and Dominique Johnson. I think they're also going to probably slide AJ Green into that rotation this year a little bit more. He looked really good as a freshman, but didn't get a ton of action. When he did, he looked really impressive. Um, so yeah, don't I, I expect that to be a rotation again this year. And you might see KJ Jefferson again lead the team in rushing just because they're rotating those guys at running back. But um, as we've alluded to before, just the biggest issue for Arkansas is going to be finding returning production at receiver. And when you think about Arkansas receivers in 2020, 20, in 2021, you're of course going to be turned to Traylon Burks. He's the first round draft pick for the Titans, goes for just monster numbers and took over games last year to help the Razorbacks win games. But it wasn't just Traylon. They lost their number two and four guys production-wise as well. Kind of similar to some other teams we talked about, it's going to be really interesting to see who steps up, who becomes that primary target for KJ Jefferson so that he doesn't have to do everything by himself. Last year, that Burks, Burks didn't come out of nowhere, but he wasn't expected to be a first-round talent going into the year. So they've got a lot of new options. Um, Guys coming back, they've got their tight end Trey Knox and their wide receiver Warren Thompson, who are the leading returners. They combined for 39 receptions for 345 yards and three touchdowns last year. Not awful production, but definitely a step back from what they had last year. The new options that they're bringing in, they got uh, Jaden Hazelwood, who I'm really excited to see in this offense. He's a former five-star and was the number one receiver in 2019. Uh, committed to Oklahoma originally, now he's in Fayetteville. They also brought in a transfer from Toledo and Matt Landers. And um, they've also got a couple other options in four-star freshman Isaiah Sintega and uh, possibly the backup quarterback Malik Hornsby. Um, with more options at quarterback this year, we might see Hornsby line up at receiver and uh, kind of have some packages for him in that. So um, on the offensive line, they only lost one full-time starter from last year. If you're looking for the most bar none guarantee is going to be solid position on this team. I think it's offensive line. They were solid last year. Pittman's an offensive line guy. I think you can pretty much expect that he's going to have a strong unit year in and year out. And they can have confidence in that. So KJ Jefferson's going to have time to throw. He's going to have time to find options. Receivers are going to have time to get open. Um, over on the defensive side of the ball, it was a big improvement in 2021. They were top 50 in both total defense and scoring, but most of that production from last year is gone. So how that unit steps up, I feel like I've gotten a lot of these teams where it's really going to depend on who steps up on defense. They lose a lot from last year, how far they go. If they can repeat that season that they had last year, it's going to depend on if they can still stop people like they could a lot of times last year. So um, they've got an awesome coordinator running the show. We know that in Barry Odom. So if anybody's going to find the right pieces and run the right scheme, it's going to be him. I still think that was probably the best possible hire that Sam Pittman could have made. And I think that's one of the main reasons why Arkansas is here where they are today is because he was able to get Barry Odom to run that defense. Um, they want to try to mix it up a little bit more this year. They ran a lot of base formations. And so this year they want to try to add more looks to confuse the offenses that they're going against. But the biggest issue that they've got to find a way around is sack production. They were 13th in the SEC last year. They beat out Vanderbilt, but 
Didn't beat out anybody else. Um, and that's not a one-off thing. They didn't just have a bad year. It's been a trend for at least the last three seasons that they've really struggled to find a go-to pass rusher and guys that can actually get home to the quarterback. Uh, defensive end Trey Williams and defensive tackle John Ridgeway left. So that's not going to help. They were the two guys that had the best stats in that front last year. Um, but Drew Sanders is the true hope here. He's coming over from Alabama. He looked good in his action last year. He filled in for an injured starter and then got hurt himself. Has season kind of cut short, but he's going to kind of line up at a hybrid edge and outside linebacker position. It might move him around a little bit too. So that's the hope if you're looking for a pass rush in Arkansas. At linebacker, Bumper Pool is the heart and soul of the defense. Feels like he's been there for 20 years at this point, but he is just a really fun player to watch. He makes that defense go. He's going to get the guys lined up in the right place. Um, and the pass defense behind them, it was really solid to elite at times last year. I think about the Texas A&M game. I think about um, the LSU game where the quarterbacks just could not find any open receivers for the vast majority of that game. And that's because they were doing a really good job of just blanketing uh, those receivers. So um, they did lose a good chunk of the quarterback, the core at cornerback, either through transfer or the NFL draft. I think you'll see senior Ladarius Bishop and LSU transfer Dwight McGlothern as the starting cornerback pair there. As safety, they do have a lot more returning production with Jalen Catalan. He's a legit first-round draft potential. If you turn on the tape, he makes that pass defense what it is. They'll need to nail down that other spot in the nickel position, but they do have a lot of talent. They've really recruited well in the secondary, so I think that could be a strength of the defense again. But again, it would really help them out if they could just get home to the quarterback more frequently. Got to figure out a way to do that. If it's scheme or if it's you know new additions to the transfer portal, has to happen for Arkansas to take that next step. Now, their floor and ceiling, I know there's a lot of hype around them. There's a lot, they're a trendy pick to finish second in the West. For some reason, I just can't find myself getting behind that. I don't know. Last year was a great season. It's a tough schedule this year, even though they don't have a power five out of conference game. They have Cincinnati week one. They have a road trip to Provo to face BYU in mid-October. That their third out of conference game is a plucky Liberty team in November. And, you know, looking at their schedule and pull, their home road splits are really nice in conference. Their tough games are at home or in a neutral site when it comes to AM. I can't really give you a reason why, but I just think this is a step back year. You know, I think the defense might show some more cracks this year. I think you do have a tougher out of conference schedule. Um, yes, I know they played Texas last year. That didn't turn out to be that tough of a non-conference game last year. I think the road trips are tough to Provo. And um, yeah, and I think that that could be, it comes at a tough time in the middle of their schedule as well. So I have them going seven and five. I don't think that's cause for panic in Fayetteville on the Sam Pittman era. But I think when you look at the other teams around them, I think you can flip a couple games that they won last year that they're not going to get this year. I'm thinking about AM in particular. I'm thinking about maybe LSU, if LSU still has it together at that point in the season. Close games last year, they could flip this year. But when it comes to their danger zone, I look right in the middle of the schedule starting in week four. They play the AM game in Arlington like they always do. 
The next week's back home against Bama. Week six is at Mississippi State, followed by week seven at BYU. I could legit see 0-4 there. And that's not a knock on Arkansas. That's just a really tough run of games back-to-back. You're going to be beat up after playing Bama. And Mississippi State is not a fun team to play when you're beat up and maybe limping a little bit. And then you go play at BYU, a team that I think is going to have playoff aspirations at that point in their season. Warranted or not, BYU is going to be playing for a lot, and they're going to be trying to showcase what they can do to a national audience in week seven. So they got to find a way to get two of those right there, or it's going to be a step back year. Man, you were going to get called a hater on Twitter. I know. I know. Suey is after your blood this season. Look, they they could prove me wrong, right? Like I wasn't expecting nine and four for them last year, but I don't think anybody was. That, that stretch in the middle is just it's tough. It's tough. Really, really tough. And I if you if you go one and three even in that stretch, it's just not a lot of confidence coming out of it. Garrett, you've got them at nine and three, so you're clearly higher on them than Trey is. Yeah, I think they're gonna be a good squad. I just I know that they're the trendy pick for, you know, second in the West this year. I think they're everyone that I've seen has them second or third, something like that. Uh, everyone thinks they're going to be right behind Bama. I'm not really willing to go quite there yet. And the reason why is I don't think you can value the loss of Traylon Burks enough. This guy was borderline unstoppable at times last year. He's a guy that when the ball got in his hands, you could almost feel the defense panic. Like, we got to get this guy. You know, we got to gang tackle. We got to find a way to just cover him. You know, get in your lanes, go backside help defense. Like, he was just a guy that you were worried about breaking loose and scoring anytime he touched the ball. And so, you know, you can replace that with really good wide receivers, but I don't think you can replace that almost that X factor, you know, where he just has that baller, that gamer in him. Um, he, this guy, he was fantastic, and there's a reason why the Titans took him. Um, I don't think people are valuing that enough. Now, I also don't think people are valuing K.J. Jefferson enough. I think he's a great quarterback. I think he's one of the more slept-on quarterbacks in this country right now. Um, and, and I think he's going to have another really good year. But you also have to factor in the fact that he was extremely efficient last year. And I don't know that he can repeat that level of efficiency. Not production, but efficiency. He only threw, what, like four picks? I think that number probably comes up as teams are aware of him and try to heat him up, pressure him, disguise looks, and take him a little more seriously. I think he's still going to be just fine. But I also think that the efficiency isn't going to be there for him. So I do have him going 9-3, and three, I believe, uh, finishing third. But I, I just, I'm not willing to 100% go that they're the next team right underneath Bama this year. I say that they might have trouble bouncing back from a tough stretch in the middle. They did have a three-game losing streak last year, and they bounced back fine from that. Only lost one more game the rest of the season. It was at Bama. So I might not know what I'm talking about there, and that's fair, Arkansas fans. But it, it it's a tough schedule this year, and I think you're onto something, Garrett, when you say that it's not going to be as much of a surprise this year. I think they caught a couple teams off guard at the beginning of the year last year. You started to see that get adjusted. That's they played a lot true. closer games down the stretch. Like Mississippi State was a three-point win. LSU was a three-point win in overtime. So, yeah, I, I'm just concerned about the sustainability until they can get their talent level up across the board to compete with the other teams at the top of the conference. I, I think if they can replace 
the offensive production that they lost with Traylon Burks last season, I think a nine-win season is certainly doable. I think that's their absolute ceiling, but I think it's doable. Um, but that being said, I, Traylon Burks did everything for you last season. So that combined with an obvious lack of pass rush production, and honestly, I think I've been tapping the brakes all offseason on, on Arkansas fans. I've seen a lot of 10-2 and two proje- uh, projections, um, even 9-3. and three. It, it, it makes me a little bit nervous for them. But uh, still, a lot of optimism, a lot of hope there in Fayetteville. A city that there's not a lot of hope in, nor optimism, no matter where you look, is down on the plains. Garrett, take us to Auburn, where they literally tried to oust their first-year head coach in the offseason. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Brian Harson survived a very dramatic offseason. I'm not going to get into that because I'm not sure we have the licensing for that. I think we might have to uh, compete with a couple of those uh, reality TV show people and see if we can get some licensing to talk about that. But oh, assuming that you've heard the story, <laughs> um, things were very dramatic for Brian Harson, but he survived. It took him a couple of coordinators. It took him a couple of unfortunate comments about him some unfortunate situations about him and he got through the off season. Good for him. Um, a lot of his team didn't get through. There were a lot of transfers out They're you know, going to have to settle with a lot of transfers at key positions. Um, and it was a tricky year for them last year, right? It wasn't like last year went according to plan. Um, definitely not the production level Auburn was hoping for out of their first year coach. Um, but the Tigers have a lot of internal confidence that they can be successful this year. The guys that stuck around are right behind Harson. They're going to play for this guy, um, and, and they're going to enjoy playing for this guy. They're going to give it all to him. So um, how warranted is the confidence in their locker room? I don't know. Um, six and seven certainly won't cut it again, so we're just going to kind of have to wait and see how it goes. Um, offense, new OC, Eric Keesaw, he'll have a lot of spots to fill in year one. Last year's offense struggled. Uh, They finished 71st in scoring at 27.8 points per game. Uh, Normally, if you had a year where you were so low in your production on offense, you would want to build with some familiar personnel, you know, implementing maybe a new scheme. But there's new faces all over this offense. Uh, Starting off with the quarterback spot, uh, last year's replacement to Bo Nix, he's now at Oregon. Um, Last year's replacement, TJ Finley, he lost all three of his starts and completed 54% of his passes. That's just not good. Um, He also had a bit of legal trouble recently, though that's kind of speculative. I'm not going to comment on that yet. Um, But that might mean that your assumed day one starter is A&M transfers at Calzada. Uh, Last year, he was extremely up and down with the Aggies. He had some great moments and he had some really down moments. He's got a really strong arm. He can make just about every single throw on the field, and he can also miss just about any throw on the field. Um, he's shown some propensity to win huge games. Obviously, he beat Bama, um, and he also was possibly the reason for a couple of disappointing losses at AM as well. So Auburn should be feeling confident in the fact that they have a guy who can win the big game. It just kind of depends on which Zach they end up getting this year. Um, they do return their star running back, Tank Bigsby. Probably one of the best backs in the country. I think top five is for sure. Top three, there's a real conversation around that one. Um, He should be the focal point of this offense this year. He had 1,102 yards last year with 10 touchdowns, and that was kind of in a non-focused year for them. So he should get a lot more opportunities this year. Um, If the Tigers can't run the ball for some reason this year with Tank, 
it's not because of him. It's because they're either one-dimensional or because their offensive line is struggling. Uh, Speaking of that offensive line, they have a veteran offensive line. They're bringing back multiple six-year guys, and that's going to help in the run game. But this unit really struggled in pass protection last year. They were one of the worst offensive lines protecting the passer last year. Had Bo Nix absolutely running for his life. I know we like to see some of the highlights where he's running for his life and then makes a big throw. You'd prefer him to not have to and just deliver an accurate pass like you see some of those other teams do. Um, So, look, they're going to have to be a lot better when you probably take a step backwards at quarterback. Um, Not to diss either of the guys, but Bo Nix is probably a better player than either Calzada or Finley. So um, you're going to have to be better in pass protection. The offensive line is going to have to take a step forward in that. And maybe they will. We've seen offensive lines turn it around with the same crew, just having one more year of experience. So could be a thing that they do. The Tigers are going to be really unproven at wide receiver this year. Most of their production left last year with Kobe Hudson and Demetrius Robertson. They combined for a thousand yards and eight touchdowns. They do have six-year pass catcher Shedrick Jackson. He's leading the room, but they're going to need some big contributions from guys like Javarius Johnson, Saving Capers, Malcolm Johnson Jr., Um, and and they're going to need those pretty quickly or else they're going to be a very one-dimensional offense from the outset. Uh, Defensively, Derek Mason, he's gone to Oklahoma State, which means that the defense is run by Jeff Schmetting, who has been with Harson going all the way back to the Boise State days. Uh, The defense was actually pretty solid last year. They finished top five in the SEC and 27th overall in scoring, 21.8 points per game against. Uh, The one place they did struggle, though, was giving up yards in the air. They finished 96th in the country in that category. Additionally, there's just a lot of new faces. Uh, The defensive line will turn to its star, Derek Hall. He had nine sacks last year. Uh, They also have a veteran presence from Colby Wooden and Iku Leota. They lead that unit. That should be the strength of this defense. They also should be pretty strong at linebacker as well. They got former five-star Owen Popo, uh, guys like Wesley Steiner, Cam Riley. They're probably going to look to contribute as well as a couple of older guys. But like I said, big questions on this defense are on the back end. They lose Roger McCreary. They lose Smoke Monday. They're no longer with the Tigers. And that's really hard to replace no matter who you are in the country. That's hard to replace if you're Bama. That's hard to replace if you're Ohio State. And it's especially hard if you're Auburn right now. Um, if you can get guys like Nehemiah Pritchett, Donovan Kaufman, Jalen Simpson, uh, maybe the Oregon transfer DJ James, if you can get just a couple of those guys to play at a at an above average level, there shouldn't be that many concerns for the Tigers on this side of the ball. They should be fairly okay, um, and, and I don't think their defense is going to be the reason they're losing a lot of games this year. Um, but speaking of losing a lot of games this year, they're over under set at six, and I think I'm going under this year. It really hurts to say it. I, I don't want to say it with a team in the SEC West that's so good. Um, and in a lot of other divisions, I think they would actually succeed this year. But man, there's just so many good teams in this division, so many good teams in the SEC. Um, and I, th- I just think they're barely moving the right direction. Uh, There's some big concerns, pretty much every aspect of the passing game, from the passers to the protection to the guys actually catching the ball. And I just think opposing defenses are going to take advantage of that. You can run some pretty simple zones and a lot of, you know, blisses, and I think you're going to have no issue heating them up and causing a lot of problems on offense for them. I have them this year at four and eight, knowing full well that they could get to eight games if everything goes right for them. I just don't think it will. I don't think there's any way that goes right. They certainly have the talent. If you got a guy like Tank, you can certainly win a lot of games. I just I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think this is Auburn's year. 
Um, Danger Zone for them. Man, they have a tough stretch from week 6 to 11. They're at Georgia, at Ole Miss. They get Arky at home, at Mississippi State, and then at Texas A&M at home. They got a lot of really tough games on the road. They get Arkansas and Texas A&M at home. Those are both two pretty solid teams who should be very good this year. Um, Man, that could just kill momentum in your season real quick. Doesn't matter how well you start. That can absolutely kill your season and leave you just reeling going into the last couple games. It's a great division full of great teams, but somebody's got to come in last, right? Like, I think that's usually Absolutely. that's usually the take for the SEC West team that you're the most down on. Somebody's got to come in last. And sometimes that last place team still makes a bowl. But just with everything that's going on at Auburn, their quarterback situation just not looking great. I, I, I don't see them finishing. I, I, I see making a bowl as probably their ceiling. I think it would be a great victory if they made a bowl this year. They they just don't get a break. <laughs> That's no, the they problem. really don't. They, they always have the toughest schedule in the SEC because they catch Georgia every yeah. single year as their permanent rival. That then, is brutal. And they ask for it because it's a rivalry game that they want to prioritize. But then you add in Penn State as an out-of-conference game. San Jose State and Western Kentucky are – tricky non-conference games if you're not a hundred percent confident in your defense yeah. or your quarterback play so i mean i i see them maxing out at making a bowl i think like i said that would be a victory if they made a bowl this year with everything that's gone on i just don't know in a vacuum if i pick them against any team on their conference schedule other than mizzou yeah i i think i'm i'm with you there i mean Hypothetically, they could have a 3-1 and or 4-0 start, depending on where you think Penn State is. This team could be 4-0. They really could be knocking on the door of ball eligibility from the get-go. But, you know, then if you drop to LSU, Georgia, and Ole Miss right before the bye week, I, that doesn't feel good. And then, yeah, where's where's the break after that? Arkansas, Miss State, A&M, Western Kentucky, like you said, could be a, a massive letdown look ahead if you've got Bama the next week. And then, you know, the Iron Bowl to conclude the season per usual. So, ooh, uh, this could be a long year on the Plains. I, I think after listening to their, their guys talk at media day, I was ready to fire everybody um at the end of this season (laughs) when i started looking at the previews right just thinking this like trey said great division somebody has to come in last and to me i thought it would be auburn head and shoulders below everybody else but then i listened to their guys talk at media days and the, the passion that they have the chip on their shoulder that hey you know they were saying look we know everyone's gonna pick us at the bottom of this conference and we don't care we're out to ruin seasons this year we're out to defend our head coach to prove that nobody had any business making up stories about him and that we do care about each other, that this, you know, this locker room is healthy despite what like 16 transfers said. Um, so, you know, I bought in a little bit listening to them talk. I think that's genuine passion. I think they're going to play really, really hard because I think everybody can see the writing on the wall that if Auburn does have another bad season, if they go four and eight this year, then the boosters might get their way and Harson might be out after after two seasons. We'll see. We'll see. I hope I hope that's wrong just because he's been treated so unfairly. He wasn't the right fit. He was not the right pick to go to Auburn. No, There's no not. way 
that he was. Um, he didn't even have any sort of tie to the South. So he was already behind the eight ball from a recruiting standpoint, which is everything in the SEC. But that being said, the Auburn boosters and the Auburn fan base, which ran Gene Chizik out of town after a national championship, which treated Gus Malzahn incredibly poorly, despite a lot of consistency, not maybe not towards the back end, but consistently had that program winning eight, nine games. And now Brian Harson was not their favorite pick as the new head coach, even though they booted Malzahn to Central Florida and they've they've tried to they've tried to malign him. So I'm rooting for him. Um, I just don't know that this year is the year that the Cinderella story happens. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this real quick. Uh, look, I got half my family on my mom's side are all Auburn fans, so no hate for the Tigers in my heart. But Auburn fans have got to be just some of the most like over uh, what is it overreacting fans that I've seen. You catch Georgia and Bama every single year. And you're going to, like you were saying, run guys out of town left and right. Guys who like won championships for you, you're going to run them out of town because they're underperforming at this very moment. I, they overreact so quickly. This is completely not fair for Harson. And yeah, he's not the right fit, right? Like, especially when you look at what the rest of the division's doing at their coaching positions and what the staffs are being put together. He's not the right fit. But you got to give this guy a chance. You got to give this guy a minute to recruit. You got to give this guy a minute to, you know, build a program before you start just submarining the whole thing, right? It, it, if you want to lose, go ahead and just torch your own program from the outside. Give a guy a second, right? And, and again, no hate for Auburn, but man, just some of these fans just really overreact. And, and I don't get it from a team who should have some patience given their circumstance. So much rides on this season, like we said. Um, I, I do wonder if Harson makes it all the way through the season. And, you know, like I said, if, if all of a sudden they start winning games, if Garrett, if your ceiling of eight wins, if that even comes close to being possible, what a story. What what a story. And yeah. and what a job that Harson will have done. They have the talent. If Harson wins eight games this year, he's legit the national coach of the year. I agree. In my mind. Because that, that schedule is impossible. <laughs> it's not it's not an easy one. That's that's for sure. <laughs> Um, well, another team potentially finishing towards the bottom of the SEC West this season is the LSU Tigers, and I've got their preview. Guys, I literally don't know Just what to lost think. lost all the Baton Rouge, Mitch. Well, listen, <laughs> I, I don't know what to think about the Tigers. Uh, I truly don't. I have a lot of, of, of LSU friends and, and family that would vehemently disagree, but... I truly, I don't know which way to go on this team. They have a new coach, obviously, in Brian Kelly. They've got a new quarterback, probably, in Jaden Daniels. And they've got just a variety of kind of unproven talent, especially on that defensive side where they just lost a whole heaping of, of, of skill position guys. So they could be a really big surprise in the SEC, but am I wrong? It seems like Brian Kelly, and we've talked about this, was an odd marriage for Baton Rouge. It was certainly the most surprising hiring of the recruiting cycle because I think literally LSU fans were expecting Lincoln Riley to be introduced as the new head coach, not Brian Kelly. Um, but, you know, then he comes in and he has the fake accent and, and all the all the things that have happened. It's just, it's just an odd marriage. But one thing is for certain, the Tigers did need change. Edo is forever a legend for winning that national championship in 2019. But since they assembled one of the best college football teams ever to grace a field, they're 11 and 12. 
They have not been competitive in the vast majority of those games since they won that national championship game. And it started game one of the 2020 season when they got blown out by Mississippi State trying to defend that national championship. Now, to Kelly's credit, since coming in, he did land a top three transfer class. My issue with kind of this state of the program is I do wonder what his high school recruiting is going to be like. I think the overall class grades are going to be fine. And if you look at the rankings right now, here in the middle of August, they are. But he's not recruiting the state of Louisiana, which is critical to LSU's success. Every single LSU national championship team has been rooted in kids that grew up near or on the bayou in Louisiana. And that has not seemed to be a priority for Brian Kelly. So with that kind of as the stage, Mike Denbrock, may I introduce your new offensive coordinator? He comes in from Cincinnati, led an undefeated regular season, uh, American Conference champion, and then obviously the first group of five champion or group of five team to make the playoff as the Cincinnati offensive coordinator. He's at LSU trying to revise an offense that was just all over the place last year. They were the opposite of consistent in 2021. The quarterback battle is interesting. Uh, It's between Jaden Daniels, Miles Brennan, and Garrett Nussmeyer. It seems like, and I was hearing this on the on the radio today. It seems like Jaden Daniels is the favorite to win that, not because Miles Brennan isn't more talented or isn't a better fit. In fact, Miles Brennan is literally, if Brian Kelly could create a quarterback in a lab, at least according to his past recruiting, it's Miles Brennan. The the issue is that Brennan has never been able to stay healthy. Not once during his career has he consistently been able to stay on the field. So Jaden Daniels, Good arm, better feet, probably the more dynamic playmaker, probably the quarterback, with Garrett Nussmeyer having the highest ceiling of all three. So, you know, we'll talk about Texas A&M in a little bit here with a true freshman and Connor Wegman trying to win the battle. Garrett Nussmeyer is not a true freshman, but he is probably the most talented quarterback on this roster. Offensive line was decimated from last season through the draft. They had three guys selected to the pros, but... Even with that, they were an absolute liability as a unit last year. LSU ranked 127th in total rushing, and as far as pass protection goes, they finished 108th. So we talked about Alabama struggling offensive uh, on the offensive line. LSU was an abomination, and yet still sent three guys to the draft. They It was a team that just was not harmonious at any point during the season. Nobody, it felt like, played as a cohesive unit, and that's what Kelly is hoping to fix here in year one. Charles Turner is back at center uh, as kind of the captain of that offensive line, and then they got highly coveted freshman All-American Miles Frazier to transfer in from Florida International, which uh, just, by the way, if you follow the NCAA 14 series, college football revamped, pour one out for Florida International. They're being booted from the game. Uh, Running back-wise, former five-star John Emery is the favorite to start at running back. Super talented kid, certainly much ballyhooed talent, but he really hasn't done anything in his career so far. In fact, LSU critics are are openly challenging him to live up to that hype. I will say a huge shot in the arm for this running game, provided the offensive line can block. They bring in Noah Kane from Penn State, who is kind of Saquon Barkley Jr., um, just a massive kid who runs with all kinds of downhill power, and I want no part of ever trying to tackle out wide, Keyshawn Bote is back after nearly transferring in the offseason to a couple of different schools. 
Um, he fully admitted, yeah, I thought about transferring, but decided to come back. Uh, kid has all American potential. He caught nine touchdowns last season, but health and focus are kind of the issues with Boutte, which honestly, it seems like there's a lot of kids that maybe have some sort of, or have had some sort of focus issue uh, while at LSU. Behind him, uh, it's a whole lot of speed. So LSU should have one of the most vertical passing attacks in the conference if they can give whoever wins that quarterback time to throw. Uh, I really think LSU is going to put up some points this year. I think they've got a very balanced attack. It's just whether or not their defense can stop anybody, which we'll we'll talk about right now. Matt House, new defensive coordinator. He was brought in to give the Tigers defense a facelift. They finished 10th in the SEC last year and lost six key contributors to the draft or transfer. We've already talked about Eli Ricks, probably the most talented of that group. He transferred over to Alabama. Defensive line, their pass rush was quietly one of the most disruptive in the country, actually. They had Ali Gay, who's back from injury, and then B.J. Ojolari, who's back to lead that unit. Those two combined, before Gay got hurt, for over 20 tackles for losses last season. So you didn't really hear a lot about the LSU pass rush because they were struggling to win ballgames, but a very disruptive unit. Jacqueline Roy, formerly one of the top recruits in the country, he's a pass rushing defensive tackle. He's going to hold down one of those critical three-tech spots. Uh, out wide, out in the corner, yep, Trey, roll credits. Uh, out in the corner spot, goner Derek Stingley Jr., Cordell Flott, and Eli Ricks, as I've mentioned. Tigers raided the portal, though, and that's where they're really kind of banking on their secondary taking a step forward. Because, guys, as, as highly regarded as Derek Stingley and Cordell Flott were last season, Stingley straight up didn't care, and Cordell Flott got manhandled in some man-to-man situations. He was an absolute liability at certain points last season when teams realized, okay, if there's not a safety over the top, we're going to throw against Flot and we're probably going to score. So with going to the transfer portal, they bring in a big-time get in Jarek Bernard Converse, who comes over from Oklahoma State. He was the best corner on that team for Jim Knowles-led defense, who had one of the best pass coverage units in the country. Uh, Makai Gardner was an all-conference performer at Louisiana last season. And then Greg Brooks, Trey, started for Arkansas last year. He's one of those secondary losses in the portal. He's a Tiger now. So a lot of experience, a lot of athleticism in the secondary. I actually expect, even with the departures through the draft, I expect LSU secondary to take a step forward. Uh, Fun fact uh, for LSU, they were dreadful in preventing completions last season. They ranked 98th in the country in quarterback completion, which I think shows more about how weak that secondary was, not the pass rush. Because as I mentioned, they were top 15 in the country in getting to the quarterback. It was when they didn't that the secondary did nothing to prevent passes at at the very least being completed. And a lot of teams moved the chains on the Tigers last season. Uh, The floor ceiling is seven as it stands right now, according to Bet Online. Maybe I'm more down on LSU than most. You guys tell me here in a second, but an unstable quarterback situation, a cheese grater of an offensive line, although a lot of talent and and you know could be a very good unit by the end, and a new coaching staff all in the SEC West. That is not my lab drawn up recipe for success in 2022. So give me next year as maybe that first litmus test of signs of life for Brian Kelly. I'm going to go under I think I've got LSU even missing a bowl game this season. Their schedule is not easy. I will say very similarly to what Garrett outlined for Auburn, if everything goes well, if they can protect whoever gets the quarterback job, 
maybe there's an eight-win season ready for the Tigers. I mean, Brian Kelly, as much maligned as he's been in social media, is one of the best coaches to ever do it. He's literally the all-time leading uh, coach in wins at Notre Dame. So it, it's kind of a mixed bag. It, it, it's very much a jambalaya of pieces and parts and talent. I'm anxious to hear if you guys think I'm off my rocker here. I don't think they'll miss a bowl. Like when I when I look at last year, that was a team that had packed it in after week one, losing to UCLA, and they still found a way to six wins and making a bowl purely on talent. Um, and obviously that happened the last week of the season against AM. That was a crazy finish, but I I think they'll make a bowl. I, I think they've got too much talent to miss out on bowl season, but I'm not pick I'm not comfortable picking them in the top half of the SEC West with all of those questions that you laid out. I think it's a tough schedule. The home road splits are really difficult. They do get Bama at home, but they uh they get Bama and Ole Miss at home this year, but they go to AM, they go to Arkansas. Um yeah, I don't know. I there's a lot of question marks, a lot of things that need answered. And I think another problem that LSU's just had the last couple of years is there were a lot of people that were on that 2019 national championship team that didn't really do a lot on that team, but they felt like they had already made it because they were a part of, they got to watch Joe Burrow throw to Justin Jefferson from the sidelines. And they think that they did something. And that's a real culture problem. Sure. That just rotted out this program. I think quicker than I've ever seen before. Like it was amazing how fast that that hype just completely disintegrated from, like you said, maybe the best college football team of all time at that point. And two years later, they need to hire a new coach. Like I, that, that's just crazy to me. But I think there's a lot of culture problems at LSU that they've got to figure out and they've got to get turned around. Kelly, maybe he's the guy to do it. But like you said, there's we we've beat this to death in our second episode of the uh, that we ever did. Uh, just asking a lot of questions about Brian Kelly's cultural fit, but is he a guy that can fix a culture at LSU and deal with the fan pressure and deal with the boosters and deal with recruiting at a level he's never had to before? I don't know that that, there's just so much that remains to be seen. And if you lose four or five games, even in your first year in Baton Rouge, that fan base isn't very patient. You talked about Auburn fans being unreasonable, Garrett, like LSU fans, just turned on Edo so quickly after he delivered them the best team they had ever had. So it, right. there's just so much unknown here. I'm, I think I have them at about seven and five or eight and four this year, but a lot of programs that's okay. But at LSU that doesn't cut it even in year one. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I mean, for me, LSU, the biggest issue isn't so much like where they are right now, but it's where Edo left them. Um, I, I think Brian Kelly's a, good hire i know we put him on the head scratching hires it kind of was confusing as far as like a culture fit and sort of like why is he coming to lsu when he was running his own thing at notre dame kind of confusing but you know i think he's a good coach i think they're going to be able to you know bring in talent and do some good things but man i just they were in such a bad spot when edo left them and i think you're spot on with the culture issues and i think you know that's going to take a little bit of time to build and when I look around, you know, the division, I think there's four teams that are in definitively better positions this year in terms of either bringing back talent, bringing back, you know, good quarterbacks or just the program being way ahead of them 
reminder, they have to go to A&M. They haven't beaten A&M in College Station since 2016, and that's not something you can just overcome real quick. That's been some home-and-home trades the last several years. So, you know, going on the road for that one, again, first-year program, it'll be towards the end of the season, so that's good. But, man, it just seems like a tall order to ask these guys to rebuild from nothing and, you know, be at a good elite level in year one. There's a potential that LSU wins one game the final two months of the regular season. Uh, we didn't do the the danger zone, and I won't make you play that sound right now, but my danger zone for them was uh, weeks eight through 11 versus Ole Miss. They do get a bye week before Bama, which is massive. Uh, Alabama comes to town, then at Arkansas to finish up that, that tough three-game stretch. But if you chart things out and things go the absolute wrong way, their last win may be against Florida in week seven, and you could see them only beating UAB the rest of the way, which would be a tough first season for Brian Kelly. So, you know, this this team, LSU and Auburn are in interesting places where I feel like they're truly at the crossroads of, all right, the program's not in trouble yet. But it could be. And Kelly's obviously not going to lose his job security in year one. But I will say, a five and seven year, even a six and six year, I think LSU starts to turn up the heat a, a little bit, especially if the recruiting in state does not pick up. Now, that being said, Garrett, very timely text to the group as we're recording this four star quarterback, Ricky Collins from Louisiana, committed. Just a few moments ago, he flipped from Purdue a couple of weeks ago, decommitted from the Boilermakers, I should say, and uh, has now committed to LSU. So in-state get there for the Tigers. The announcement came out on Twitter absolutely as you were talking about how he didn't recruit Louisiana. Like the announcement, I saw it on my phone, breaking news, as you're talking about he's not recruiting Louisiana. They're like, this kid, Ricky Collins, just committed LSU. So I'm like, well... <laughs> Well, I could be wrong. There you I, think, go. I think out of like 16 or 17 commits that they have, I think he's only the third in-state kid. I was so, scrolling right. through it earlier. It was when you said that I was really interested to go look that up. And yeah, it's it's shocking. When you think about it, school has just dominated that recruiting scene yeah. for mm-hmm. so long. Real quick, Mitch, do you have a thought on their week one game against Florida State? Well, I'm certainly on the Florida State bandwagon as opposed to the LSU one. Um so, look, it's basically a home game for LSU being in New Orleans. I've got a feeling that Florida State comes in and wins this game. I don't know. I, I really don't know why, um, because I think these are two programs in very similar situations. You know, both Mike Norvell really needs to, to get things going in Tallahassee if he's going to keep his job. Brian Kelly wants to make a, a statement. So this is a must, not a must win, but... For the fan base, oh my goodness, for the, the peace and tranquility of the fan base, this is a must-win in week one. I'm going to take the Knowles. I would not be surprised if LSU comes out and wins that game, but I think if I was to take the Knowles, it's because Jordan Travis really felt like he came into his own last season, and LSU still needs to find their identity both on the offensive line and at quarterback. So more questions and answers for me offensively for the Tigers than the Knowles. Um, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be like a Georgia Clemson from last year where it's like, Hey, the, the offenses are still a couple of weeks away from truly being up to speed and functioning. 
if it does turn into a defensive slugfest, then that probably favors the Tigers, um, unless Jared Verse is just wrecking shop. But I'll, I'll take the Knolls. I'm on their bandwagon this season. I think I've got them going eight and four, and this is one of those wins. So we'll see. All right. Yeah, we'll see. Mark, mark it down and uh, tweet at me at the beginning of September when I'm inevitably wrong. Uh, Trey, you've got Ole Miss up next, one of the most interesting programs in the country. Yeah, so from a couple fan bases that are not having a good time the last couple of years to a fan base that's having a really good time uh, the last couple of years. Not a hype train, but a lane train is rolling Ooh. in Oxford. Uh, he's the king of Twitter. He added another kingship this offseason as the portal king with the amount of guys that they quite frankly, just had to bring in to fill in the losses. I'll get to that in just a second. But man, Lane Kiffin, love him or hate him, it's a great story to watch him just kind of resurrect his career in Oxford. I, I, I've i loved watching it. Obviously, if you're a Tennessee fan or maybe a USC fan, you are not the biggest Lane Kiffin fan, and I get that. But it's been really cool to watch him come back from the ashes, from the depths that he was leaving USC. Coming back as a head a coordinator at Alabama, then a head coach, Florida Atlantic, now having success in the SEC again at Ole Miss. But, man, he relied on production last year that is just not there anymore. So both coordinators are also gone. Three other assistants moved on. He's, like I mentioned, crowned himself the portal king because he's had to dip in to get a lot of missing pieces that they have to have to have a competitive roster this year. There's a ton of moving pieces, and they have not made a lot of decisions on who's starting where and who's going to figure that out. But man, they haven't just brought in any old transfers. They have brought in some really talented guys that have a lot of potential. And if they can just get everybody moving in the right direction, if Lane can figure out how to just keep that train on going, I'm really excited for what they can accomplish this year. So I'll start with the offense. And let me just list off the names that they lost last year. Matt Corral, Jerry and Early, Snoop Connor, Dontario Drummond, Braylon Sanders, um, Jacor, uh, Jacor Pearson. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you're probably cringing at that because that's your quarterback, your two leading rushers, your top three pass catchers, all gone from last year, including your offensive coordinator as well. So we have to dip into the portal. The quarterback battle is a prime example of that. Uh, Luke Altmaier is back after getting some time in relief of Matt Corral last year. We saw him in the Sugar Bowl just really not have a lot of chances to make things happen because Baylor was just blitzing the heck out of him. He was on the ground more than he was upright in that game, it felt like. But he's competing with USC transfer Jackson Dart. Um, Dart really was inconsistent. He had a lot of tools. He got hurt a couple times, I think, last year. Um, but he also turned the ball over a lot when he was in there. Obviously, a freshman quarterback will do that a lot. But if Dart's going to win this competition, he has to figure out how he's going to take care of the ball. Kiffin's not going to allow him to throw a lot of interceptions and stay out there, especially when he has a guy like Altmeyer waiting in the wings. If you're asking me right now, I think Altmeyer is the guy at Ole Miss. I, you read the, read the tea leaves kind of going into fall camp and the early rumblings coming out of there. It seems like Altmeyer's kind of done more to impress the staff, but obviously there's a couple weeks for that to sort out. Um, 
The Rebs also brought in a scary, talented duo at running back to replace their guys that left. Um, I loved their running back duo last year, but this might be even better coming out of the transfer portal. You got former five-star Zach Evans coming over from TCU, and then a former SMU star Ulysses Bentley the fourth. And we grab one from each side of the Metroplex, so everybody's happy in Dallas if you're looking for a team to adopt. But, man, I it's hard for me to imagine a more scary one-two punch than this if both of these guys are healthy and if both these guys have their heads on straight. Because obviously Zach Evans carries with him some baggage. If you followed his recruiting at all, it was a soap opera. But when he's on and when he is playing up to his potential, he is scary. He had a run of five straight 100-yard games when he was healthy at TCU. Um, Ulysses Bentley, go watch him in 2020 at SMU if you haven't if you don't remember he was the key to that offense and looked really really exciting again they have to stay healthy both of them have struggled with injuries at times in their career but they both have pro potential you could see both of those guys getting drafted um this time or in April this year so uh Jonathan Mingo is back from injury at wide receiver he's gonna have to bring that senior senior leadership just because like I said they did lose a lot of production from last year They'll need a combo of youngsters, uh, Braylon Brown and Jaden Jackson, and transfers Malik Heath, who came over from rival Mississippi State, and Jordan Watkins from Louisville to kind of fill out that outside receiver spot. The slot looks like it's locked up. I'm excited to see US UCF transfer Jalen Robinson come in. He was really, really good in that Malzahn offense uh, down in the slot. So he'll probably put up a bunch of yards and a bunch of production in this offense in Oxford. Another weapon that they have, kind of shades of Kenny Yeboah a couple years ago, Michael Trigg, who also came over from USC at tight end. They're really excited about him. They say that he dominated spring practices, was unguardable. Obviously, we do hear that a lot about tight ends this time of year, that they're unguardable, and we don't know how anyone's going to be able to stop them, but he's got the he's got the physical tools to back that up. So I'm excited to see how they use him in the offense, but the weak link is definitely going to be up front. Last year... They won 10 games kind of in spite of their offensive line. The um, Corral and when his backups were in, those guys, they were allowed a sack 7.3% of dropbacks. And if you're thinking that doesn't sound like a lot, that was 88th best nationally. Um, and they were 113th in the nation and allowing 92 tackles for loss. So the pass blocking and the run blocking were almost non-existent last year. It was Corral running around making plays and the running backs just being able to get through the line of scrimmage. So they are bringing back three starters. They're shifting everybody around. And guess what? They're going to rely on a transfer to try to bring some stability. It's a former Western Kentucky Hilltopper, Mason Brooks. He was a all-conference USA performer in the past. So they're hoping that he can keep providing that production there. Over on defense, they were really opportunistic under DJ Durkin. Again, lost him. He's now a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. But that's a huge improvement from where they were. They were really good at forcing turnovers, and they were top 30 in sacks, but they did give up 420 yards a game last year. Those big plays, those turnovers, and those sacks kept the scoring down. They dropped their scoring points per game. It was up at 38.3 points per game that they were giving up in 2020. They got that all the way down to 24.7 uh, in 2021. So big improvement there, largely due to those big plays. And 
like we've said multiple times about teams, sometimes those turnovers and sacks are not uh, predictive from year to year. So they're going to have to find some more consistency as they adjust to a new era without DJ Durkin. They've appointed former safeties coach uh, Chris Partridge. He's promoted to be the play caller, and Maurice Crum is coming over from Western Kentucky to be the co-defensive coordinator. Um, Cedric Johnson, he looks like he's going to be their big pass rushing guy. He had six and a half sacks last year, kind of in a secondary role. And that defensive end and edge position looks like it's going to have some decent talent. If you remember, they still want to run that kind of weird formation that they had. It was a 3-2-6, which is very unique. Um, so they're not going to rotate through a lot of guys in the what we would normally call a front seven is going to be a front five. But they really need to find a guy at nose tackle to help sure up that run defense. They haven't found a lot of consistency there. I want to see if Tywon Malone or KD Hill, a couple of really talented recruits from the last couple of years, can step up and fill that spot. Uh, Troy Brown is coming in from Central Michigan to anchor a linebacker spot. He was a three-time All-Mac guy with the Chippewas. And that second linebacker spot is totally up for grabs as they go into fall camp. Like I said, they're going to play six guys in the secondary, two corners, three safeties, and a nickel. Um, AJ Finley is a three-year starter that's going to anchor that safety spot. And the leading tackling returner from last year, Otis Reese, and Iowa State transfer, Ashim Young, who was the 2020 co-freshman of the year in the Big 12. They're going to round out that safety unit that could be the strength of this defense. Um, the cornerbacks have a lot of returning production. We talk about pass breakups and things like that. So I think the secondary could be a really nice, surprising unit for them this year. Probably the best unit on the defense if you're looking um, to pick one of those out. Their floor and ceiling, uh, they're over-under set at 7.5, and, and maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's just buying into the Lane Kiffin hype, but I'm just really cautiously very optimistic about this team this year. Um, the defense might be poor again but they won 10 games with that last year. And it's not like they're bringing in just these average transfers, right? They're not bringing in guys that barely could crack the field at a bigger program. They're bringing in all conference guys at lower schools or guys that were starting at power five schools. So I'm excited to see what those guys can do. I'm excited to see if they can kind of find a cohesive vision on offense. That run game is going to be scary and help whoever wins that quarterback battle. But um, you know, I'm going to go over, I'm going to go over seven and a half. I do think that they have the talent to win a lot of games again, uh, their danger zone. It's a light schedule to open up other than Kentucky. I, they should be no worse than six and one as they go into this danger zone of week eight at LSU week nine at A&M and then week 11 back home against Bama after the bye. Here's a bonus little extended danger zone. After October 15th, there's no break from the SEC West the rest of the season other than a bye week. Usually we see teams schedule an FCS game or you know an out-of-conference game or they have an opponent from the East, but from October 15th on when they play Auburn, it's all SEC West. So that'll be interesting to see them navigate. That is a gauntlet that they have to run, like you said, separated only by a bye week. Now, I will say, before we hit record, I was telling you that bye week to me is kind of perfectly placed. Maybe I'd like it one week earlier before going to College Station, but to have the bye week to recoup before Bama at Arkansas and then home for the Egg Bowl, 
I think that could be the shot of of life that Ole Miss needs. Look, Ole Miss has a weird habit of upsetting the tide at home. So fresh off a bye, depending on what happens in College Station, I mean, they could be riding really, really high, or it could just simply come at a great time. Um, you know, it looks like Luke Altmaier is winning that that quarterback battle. I was actually listening to some coverage on that today, and it just it seems like Jackson Dart is just too inconsistent. Yeah, they don't um, like that he turns the ball over a lot. No, they're, he, they're not going to let him do that. That's what he did at USC, and I know a lot of people were hoping that he would kind of grow out of that. At least to this point, it, it doesn't seem like that's the case. So I, I would expect Altmeyer to be the quarterback, and I like him. I, I think he came in and threw the ball well against Baylor. I mean, look, when you're when Matt Corral goes down and you just have to step into a sugar bowl, like you're going to make mistakes. But I like the platform that he throws off of. He's long, he's lanky, he's got a great arm. I tell you what, if if that defense can be somewhat average, right? Because when Ole Miss is at their best, the defense is really just average. As long as it's not an eyesore on the field and they're not having to win 63-60, to 60, this is a good team. It's a really good team. Now, can they put a bunch of transfers together and make them gel? We'll see. Yeah, I'm I'm lower on Ole Miss this year. I, I'm... I think that they are one of the teams where there's wins to be had if you're some of these other teams sort of fighting for the top. Um, I'm not that big of an Altmaier fan. I think he showed you who he was a little bit. I know he wasn't ready, and I know, you know, going in for an injured guy who's been the guy all year, that's no fun. But I just, I'm not convinced that he's the guy. I think right now, if you're just slating him in, he's one of the worst two quarterbacks in the SEC West right now. Um, at, at least among projected starters. Obviously, I'm not going to say he's you know worse than the backups and the backups backups. But at least as far as projected starters go, I think it's him or the guy at Auburn is going to be the worst in the West. Um, and I just I think there's some losses on this schedule with the amount that they're going to lose just on the defensive side. The the big reason why they were different. Look, their offense was explosive in 2020 and in 2021. The reason they had a good year last year is because their defense was amazingly better. I think a lot of that had to do with scheme. I think a lot of that had to do with Durkin. And I'm just, I'm not, I don't see it this year. I don't get why Ole Miss is supposed to be good. They also, you know, they play a lot of their tough games on the road. Like you guys are saying, you know, LSU on the road, A&M on the road. I, I'm, I don't see it for Ole Miss. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally off on this one. I just, I'm not high on Ole Miss. I haven't gone six and six this year. Um, I think that there's just too many teams that have better situations, especially at the quarterback spot, um, that are going to take advantage of that. Look, their floor could be below six and six. I, sure, I'm buying in on the talent that they brought in in the transfer portal, but if that talent doesn't play cohesively and they just don't have guys buy in to one single vision, that back half of the schedule is going to break them apart. But what I do like is they do have a lot of time to get ready. And so if Altmaier's not the guy and they need to put provide a spark from Jackson Dart, and maybe he turns the ball over a little bit, but he just gives an offense a higher ceiling when he's on, then they have a lot of time to figure that out. So I think that's the op- source for optimism if you're looking for it for Ole Miss. Just so much time to build a cohesive unit that's all moving in the right direction. That's why I'm a little bit higher on them. If they had some of those tougher games earlier in the season, like your A&M's, LSU's, Alabama's, I might not be as high on them, to be honest. But I like that they get that time. 
Right. Well, and I mean, the issue too is what if Zach Evans steps in a puddle and decides to commit to Purdue and then Washington State and then <laughs> Syracuse? I mean, that that's could a be an very option. real possibility. You heard it here first. Zach Evans will be a Syracuse orange by November. <laughs> <laughs> he and Sean Tucker are going to absolutely carry the Qs to five wins this season. <laughs> um, well, let's head over across the state from the Grove to Stark Vegas. Garrett, Mississippi State up next. Yeah, look, man, and I might have the hot take here, but the lane train's pulling into uh, Ole Miss, but my hype train is pulling into Stark Vegas. You absolutely go on the hype train, Trey. I think the Bulldogs are going to shock some people this year. Uh, Look, when you combine resident pirate enthusiast and also head coach in his spare time, Mike Leach, with a super accurate quarterback in Will Rogers, it almost doesn't matter what the rest of your team does. Uh, There's going to be some talent on this roster. Leach has the Bulldogs moving in a great direction as a program. If Will Rogers takes just one more step in the right direction – Mike Leach is probably getting back to his good old days of, you know, spoiling special seasons for the top teams. Uh, Look, let's go ahead and talk about that offense. I just mentioned Will Rogers. This Bulldogs offense is it ranked fourth in the nation last year and first in the SEC in passing yards per game. They also happen to be the worst running team in the entire country. They just don't care about running the football. So this preview has a lot more to do with their scheme than it does with just total personnel. So, Rodgers, he was special last year. He set school records in completions, passing yards, and passing touchdowns. To give you an idea of what that looked like, he completed 505 passes for 4,739 yards and 36 touchdowns. And somehow he's not getting talked about as one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. You don't hear his name pop up on the Heisman list almost ever. There's no reason why he shouldn't be with numbers like that. There's no way around it. This is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, and he deserves way more respect than he's getting. He might be the single most slept-on player in this country. Uh, The running back is Jaquavius Marks, and this is the last time you're going to hear his name unless he's catching passes. Um, Marks will catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. That's a feature of Leach's offense. But again, he just doesn't run the football ever. I think they averaged something like 60 yards a game last year, and that was just, I guess, giving Rodgers a break on the arm. Um, look, he's going to catch some passes as well as some starting, uh, veteran receivers. They've got Austin Williams, Jaden Wally. Uh, they have the fun task of trying to replace Makai Polk. Um, but I have a feeling they're going to do a fantastic job doing it. They've been in the offense. They know how it works. Um, and this should just be another all timer when it comes to passing for the Bulldogs. Um, the offensive line, it needs to replace its tackles. But again, you know, the ball is out of the hand so quickly in this offense. It almost doesn't matter what you're doing along that offensive line. Um, just kind of need to get guys out of the ways of windows more times than not. Um, so look, they're going to replace guys. This is just a different style of offense. It's really hard to talk about this in any real way besides the fact that, look, Rodgers was fantastic last year, and that'll probably continue given he knows the system, given the the athletes stay in place, uh, and given that, you know, they don't make crazy adjustments to it across the West. Um, defensively speaking, there was nothing really crazy to write home about in terms of that side of the ball. They were 63rd in scoring defense, 25.9 points per game. They did surprisingly finish 12th nationally in stopping the run, so they're a pretty good front seven, uh, stuff on the run, uh, doing that. Um, 
they should continue that success given what they bring back. The entire defensive line comes back for the Bulldogs. They're also going to be featuring last year's injured pass rush, uh, Jordan Davis. He's returning as well um, to that defensive line. It'll feature guys like Cam Young, Jaden Cremetti. They should be really solid on that side of the ball. Um, especially on the defensive line. The linebacker room, they're running it back as well. Jet Johnson, Nathaniel Watson, Tyrus Weed, he's kind of that you know edge guy. Um, they're coming back. They're going to be a staunch run-stopping team, and they should be surprisingly good at uh, rushing the passer as well, given some of the guys that are coming back. Um, there's a lot of question marks at DB for them, though. They lost Martin Emerson. He went to the draft. He was probably one of the SEC's best covermen last year, and, and there's going to be some holes to fill at safety as well. Uh, they're going to be turning to uh, the Camarion Richardson. He's started to develop pretty well as far as guys are talking in the program. They also have Bama transfer Marcus Banks to man one of the corner spots. Uh, look, they should be just fine on that back end. There will have to be you know some prove-it moments, but I'm willing to say that they're going to be just fine back there, um, and this, this group shouldn't be anything that's a liability. Um, look over under, they've got a six and a half this year, hammer the over. Um, I have them going nine and three. They should be borderline unstoppable on offense. Uh, if they can get their coverage to click in place on defense, the offense is good enough to win the division. I'm willing to say it. This offense is good enough to win the division and show up in Atlanta the first weekend in December. What? Your responses. That's fine. I just don't see how six and a half is a good line whatsoever. Uh, their danger zone. Weeks five through seven have Texas A&M, Arkansas, and at Kentucky. If they're going to compete with Bama, they're going to have to win those three to stay up in the standings. And guys, I, I see that y'all are you know flipping out over this uh, possible thing. I did not pick them to win the SEC West. I think they go nine and three, but I think that it's a very real possibility that they could compete and score enough points. Guys, this offense is ridiculous. You guys talked about it in the uh, episode where you're talking about possible upset teams. If they're going to upset some guys, that's just fine. I I was on the hype train at the beginning when we were talking about them on the podcast. I said I thought nine wins was a real possibility. I have them winning nine. Listen, the offense might be great. The defense, you got to be able to stop someone to to win the SEC West. Stop Um, the run. Yeah. wasn't Marcus Banks the the guy that got absolutely just burned to lose the Texas A and M Alabama game? Am I making that up? Uh, uh, look, needs a change of scenery. <laughs> <laughs> right, couldn't, oh couldn't handle it in Tuscaloosa. They're a talented team. I agree. They are the one of the most slept on teams in the country. I agree that Will Rogers is not getting his due. Um, I'll just say that's a spicy take. That is a. And, and again, to be clear, where I have them in the standings is I have them finishing yeah. fourth. Okay, but when we're talking about a ceiling for this team, okay, talking about a ceiling here, you have to make the case that there's no possible way that they could go to any team and just blow, like, go in there, blow them, blow the doors off the hinges on offense. They, they can do that to any team. I don't think there's a defense. You know, look, let's go ahead and talk. Will Anderson in Alabama, he's great at rushing the passer. He's probably the best player in the country. In Leach's offense, it doesn't matter if he's on the field. They're going to get the ball out of his hands real quick. They can throw the ball the other direction from where he lines up and probably have three or four guys open just depending on what kind of you know set they run with. So, I mean, look, this is a salty offense. Will Anderson 
or not Will Anderson, Will Rogers heavily slept on as a quarterback. I'm willing to go to the mat for that one. So yeah. I I will push back a little bit on the offense because I think we romanticize the Mike Leach offense a little bit. And this is why I'm actually way lower on Mississippi State. We romanticize that Mike Leach offense, man. We remember Texas Tech in the old Big 12. We remember Washington State putting up big numbers in the Pac-12. This was their scoring output last year. 35, 24, 29, 25, 26, 9, 45 against Vanderbilt, 31, 28, 43 against Auburn, 55 against Tennessee State, and 21 before 7 against Texas Tech. Leach hasn't had that magical offense in the SEC. Like we we like to remember the high flying offenses of the past. He just really hasn't shown it. Has it given defenses a lot of trouble? Absolutely. Have most defensive coordinators figured it out at halftime or stopped them in the red zone and forced them to kick field goals? Also, yes. And so you don't win friends with field goals, you don't win championships with field goals. I I just haven't seen it. You know, the stats do say that when Leach has a multi-year returning starter at quarterback, it's when it really takes off. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that does happen this year. And that's when the ceiling kicks in. But until I see that in the SEC West, I'm just always going to tap the brakes on any Mississippi State hype. See, and you're saying that we have to remember back to the Texas Tech days, and those are certainly pretty glorious for him. I'm just remembering back to um, it was 2021 when Will Rogers almost threw for 5,000 yards and almost threw for 40 touchdowns. So, you know, those numbers, if they were happening it's at awesome Ohio when you throw State for a lot of yards. Georgia, yeah, no, but what I'm saying is when you bring back a quarterback – you're assuming he's going to take a step forward. And I, and I made the caveat at the beginning. If he takes one more step forward, that's going to have to be red zone efficiency. Sure. Convert half what's of your the drives biggest, that ended in field goals. But what's the biggest holdup to the air raid? Anywhere, for even over year to year. I would just say not getting started and, you know, going three and out real quick, but I would say it's red zone zone efficiency. But (laughs) yeah, the answer is the answer to the test is red zone. (laughs) It it, it (laughs) is going three and out. Right. Now, the last thing I'll say, we need to get to Texas A&M before we wrap this up. All of those offensive stats are amazing. Mississippi State went seven and six last year. I can't imagine that the offensive stats get that much better this year. Maybe they do, but not markedly to where I think that this team could as a ceiling win the SEC West. But it's a beautiful thing about college football, gentlemen. Nothing is ever set in stone. That's why we play the games on Saturdays. Uh, like I said, they're going to shock thing. some people. They're going to shock some people. Just wait. Just wait. It's driving driving the bus forward. Of They will content. shock at least one team. You, yeah, you're oh, absolutely that, right. that's a guarantee that's a stone cold lock now it's gonna team? it's gonna be they're gonna be shocking georgia when they show up in the opposing locker room in atlanta oh my goodness i, um, I picked them to go nine and three and finish fourth in the west i picked them to go nine and three and finish fourth in the west <laughs> all right well let's wrap things up in college station um if you're listening to this you'll get a bonus episode uh, tomorrow on Friday with aggies today one of the leading recruiting analysts uh honestly in the country in that space He's going to talk some more Texas A&M and SEC West as well. So if you didn't get your fill today, listen to that episode because it was uh, it's a quick one. I think only about 30 minutes and uh, just really, really insightful. The kid is 
doing amazing things. But our preview of Texas A&M looks like this. State of the program, this is a Texas A&M squad that is recruiting better than everyone else in the country save Georgia, Alabama, and maybe Ohio State. It's a team that just finished up with the top recruiting class in the history, the modern history of recruiting classes, including eight five stars. They finally think that they have at least a decent enough quarterback room to elevate this offense, to take the vertical passing game and make this more than just a one-dimensional offense. All of those things are great. But the fact of the matter is this A&M team with the same hopes and dreams last year went eight and four. Injuries derailed them early when it took Haynes King out of the Colorado game in game two and threw Zach Calzada in. As Garrett said, a lot of highs, a lot of lows for Zach Calzada, who was anything but consistent. So at his best, knocking off Alabama at home. At his worst, losing to Arkansas, Mississippi State, Mississippi, and LSU in a crushing final loss on the road. Offensively, this team has to focus on throwing the football down the field. They had one of the best running backs in the country. In fact, one of the most utilized running backs in the country over his career in Isaiah Spiller. Essentially, Spiller was utilized so much over his career that he became the bell cow for Texas A&M. He became the guy that when you needed to move the chains, when you needed a touchdown late in the game, you gave it to Isaiah. You look at the, the game against Florida, going forward on fourth and two deep in Florida territory, bounces off a couple of tackles and manages to find his way into the end zone. That was how A&M moved down the field, combined with quick hitters thrown to J- Jalen Weidermeyer up the seam, things of that nature. Now, they do have a lot of playmakers like Devin A-Chain. Uh, obviously, they've got Anias Smith, who's back this year as well, and then a couple of five-star recruits on the outside that should, like Evan Stewart, take the top off of defense. The question for A&M is at the quarterback spot. Who is going to be that quarterback that finally kind of takes the mantle. I was reading an article today about Texas A&M's offense historically, and truthfully, their offense centers around not turning the football over. That was the obvious uh, heel uh, Achilles heel for the Aggies last year was that Calzada just turned the football over at the most inopportune spots. You look at the losses to Arkansas and Ole Miss, it's interceptions, early killing drives, killing momentum, or late in games when you're trying to to muster a comeback. So whether the Aggies find truly the future, quote-unquote, at quarterback this year between Haynes King, Max Johnson, who transferred in from LSU, and the five-star quarterback, Connor Wigman, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is the year that they find that or not. But if they can cut down on the turnovers, this offense should be so much better. Offensive line-wise, they're very, very experienced and actually should be another top 10 unit in the country. Ruben Fathery at the tackle spot, Bryce Foster up the middle at center, two of the best offensive linemen in the entire country. Uh, the, the real question is, where do you go for the other tackle spot? Probably with a young guy like Trey Zoon. And then, uh, you know, you've got one more guard spot to fill as well. But the bones of this offensive line are extremely solid. On the defensive side, they've got one of the best defensive lines in college football. Whether you talk about stopping the run, which historically they've been very, very good at, or uh, getting to the passer, they're hoping to take a step forward there. Now, they do lose Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator, who's gone to coach Duke. They bring in DJ Durkin, who comes over from Ole Miss. Durkin has improved defense wherever he's gone, whether it was as a head coach or as a coordinator. Last year, that Ole Miss defense that we talked about earlier went from 102nd in the country in total yards allowed 
to 51st. Durkin literally improved their stock by uh, 100%, like doubled their production and, and got them out of the cellar. So Durkin is much more aggressive than Mike Elko is. I think he's going to rely on a, a larger rotation of pass rushers this year, which is great for AM because they've got all these five stars that are just queuing up to go rush the quarterback. The issue for the AM defense could be at the linebacker spot. This is a team that's mostly going to run a 4-2-5, so you're not going to see a ton of linebacker play as far as quantity of guys, but they don't have uh, two guys who are set in stone as, as starters who have a ton of experience as starters in the SEC. Now, Edron Cooper, absolutely. Probably an All-American caliber linebacker, a guy that can do it all. The other spot is still up for grabs, and it certainly looks like Andre White is going to win that, but uh, a and only has five healthy scholarship linebackers right now. So the rotation, the uh, guy who can come in and step in and, and secure that spot, still very much up for grabs. Thankfully, though, for the Aggies, what has been an absolute liability in years past in the secondary appears to be one of the best units in the country. They've got multiple starting corners that are coming back with experience. Jalen Jones, Brian George, a former uh, junior college transfer. At the safety position, they're stocked again. They've got Damani Richardson and likely sophomore Jarden Gilbert, who has stepped up. He's playing extremely physical football in camp from all reports. And then, oh, by the way, don't forget Antonio Johnson, who was an All-American at the nickelback spot last year, might also slide back and play safety, where a lot of uh, pro scouts, at least, have him projected to go in the first round next year um, as an NFL safety. So all of that to say the defensive unit for this team is about as sure a thing as I think you're going to see from a Texas A&M football team. Again, the question comes back to, can they take the top off the defense? Can they trust a quarterback to implement the full offensive play sheet? Jimbo Fisher's taken a lot of heat for a quote, simplistic offense. And a lot of that's been fair but to Jimbo's credit and in his defense, it's widely known that he did not trust Zach Calzada with the entire gambit of that offense last season. They were running a very, very simplified playbook, and it hurt them. It made it very, very predictable. And when Calzada was not in rhythm, that team could not move the chains. And that's what you saw in those four losses, ultimately, that uh, that sank their ship last season. So uh, floor ceiling for this team is at eight and a half. For Vegas, I think this is a very appropriate line. Force A&M betters to prove that Texas A&M can get over eight wins, right? I think Jimbo's got the program moving in the right direction. And when I look at their schedule, I've got them at 10 and two. Uh, now, call me a homer all you want. I think this is an extremely fair take that their ceiling is 10 and two, 11 and one. If they can move the football and be explosive offensively, that defense should be really, really good maybe the third best in the SEC behind Bama and Georgia, maybe competing with the likes of Alabama for overall defensive productivity. So I like the Aggies to go over. I will say the floor, another 8-4 and four season. Uh, I don't think it's that much lower than 10-2 and two just because of the talent that they have on this roster and the experience coming back. But you have injuries again. You have some underperforming players on offense. And sure, 8-4, and four, the epitome of, of mediocrity is... is foreseeable could very easily be in the cards uh the danger zone for this texas a&m team the 
I could go a couple different directions here, but I'm going to go weeks four through six. Uh, and this is a revenge game against Arkansas. The Razorbacks beat AM for the first time in like 10 tries last year. Uh, then you go to Mississippi State and to Alabama. Now, Trey, before we hit record on this, I was telling you that I think both of AM's losses are going to come right there before the bye week. I do think they get Arkansas this year for the variety of reasons that we outlined. But then going to Starkville and to Tuscaloosa, AM historically does not play well in Stark Vegas. They have lost to some much less talented teams at Mississippi State. So if they're going to trip up, other than going to Tuscaloosa, I think it's probably there. And then that Alabama game, look, guys, Tuscaloosa, it's a revenge game. All eyes will be on that uh, that game, that CBS game of the week. And I just think Nick Saban at home finds a way to flex his muscle. I think they probably win by you know 14 to 17. It could be a competitive game, but I, it just feels like this is Nick Saban's year, and I don't think the Aggies stand in his way on the road. After that, though, I really think this is a very winnable schedule. They've got Ole Miss and Florida at home. They've got LSU at home. They only have two road games after the bye week, which is at South Carolina, a team that they're much more talented than, and a game at Auburn, which who knows what Auburn will be by that point. So I think after the bye week, A&M's got to go undefeated in order to be a, quote, elite team if they want to finish in the top 10. Um, you know, if they find a way to beat Mississippi State and can get out of Dodge with an 11-1 and uh, regular season, then who knows where the cards stack up at the end of the year. But uh, I, I think this is a, a prove-it year for Texas A&M. It's not a playoff year. I, I truly do not believe that they're ready to compete for the playoff. I think that window starts next season. But I think you are probably being biased against Texas A&M if you're not willing to look past an 8-4 and four record this year. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, if they're going to take the next step, it's going to have to be better quarterback play. Everything else is in place. They've got talent at every position, including quarterback. They've just got to figure out if they have their guy and, frankly, who that guy is. I think any of the three options will be better than what they had with Zach Calzada last year. And that's no shade at Zach Calzada. He fought his tail off through that SEC West schedule, but it was just very clear starting with that Colorado game that he wasn't ready to take on that weekend week out grind. And all three of those options, you are going to be an improvement there. That's going to be good in my mind for at least one more win than last year. Like you hit on the head, all four of their losses, you can point to inopportune turnovers. Um, you, you take a safety on the possible game tying drive against Mississippi state. you, throw a pick six against Ole Miss. You, the list just goes on. I don't want to berate the kid, but it's going to be improved at quarterback this year. And that's going to cause a step forward in my mind for AM. Yeah, no, you guys have, I mean, crushed this so far. Two stats that I thought were really interesting to kind of show you where AM probably goes this year. First thing is, uh, and this is more of a stat to talk about sort of the landscape and the overall appearance of what Jimbo's offense is. Texas A&M threw the ball more last year than Texas did, right? So everyone talks about Sark's offense being, you know, a big high throttle thing. And I think that that's true. I think Sark's got a great offense there at Texas. But Jimbo did throw more pass attempts or, or call more pass attempts last year than Sark did. So to the people that think that this is just a, a little, you know, 
three yards in a cloud of dust offense. That's just not really informed. And that, that probably just comes from more media narrative than anything else. The other stat that I think is really important is every game that AM lost last year, there was a, a point late in the fourth quarter where it was a one score game. Marginally better quarterback play probably sees you win all of those games. And now I'm not saying that it'll be that close this year. I also don't think that AM beats Alabama. But 10 and 2, 11 and 1, I think you're probably right about it, Mitch. Arkansas and Mississippi State are both, I think, coin flip games. So statistically, they lose one of them. Um, but they, I think they're better than both teams, at least on paper right now. This could be a good year for AM. I just think you're kind of right. It's one year away in terms of it being more of a playoff type year for AM. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think you want to see them take that step to throw the ball down the field, be a little bit more explosive. And I think just overall, the landscape doesn't really fit AM making the playoff this year. It could be a real good year for them. Um, I, and I think that you'll see that, but I just don't think it's that year. Gentlemen, that's the SEC West, done and dusted. All the Power 5 teams have now been previewed. Uh, we really do appreciate all the love and support. This was a labor of love, uh, but it was absolutely a labor. And so uh, if you are enjoying <laughs> the show, uh, please leave a like on uh, our posts on Instagram and Twitter at 3 Pod. If you're not already following the show, uh, drop us a subscribe if you are. Share with a friend. Uh, let them know we're really excited to bring you more content. Trey, uh, we're running long on this one. Very quickly, if you'll run us through the consensus rankings, and then honestly, just go ahead and take us through the superlatives uh, yourself as well. We agree on a lot of a lot of points here. Yeah, so our consensus ranking for the SEC West, we've got Alabama taking home the title again, going back to Atlanta. We've got AM coming in second, Arkansas in third, Mississippi State in fourth, Ole Miss in fifth. LSU in sixth, and Auburn coming in seventh. For Offensive Player of the Year, Garrett went with his homeboy, Will Rogers. Uh, Mitch guy. goes with Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Alabama. And come on, guys. I, I, I go with who it's actually going to be, Bryce Young, quarterback, <laughs> Alabama. Um, defensive Player of the Year, we all selected Will Anderson. I fully agree with the assessment earlier that he could be the best player in the country. For most improved, just kind of by default, we all went with A&M jumping from eight and four to the 10 nine to 11 win range does constitute an improvement. And then for the championship game, we all kind of have chalk Bama over Georgia. <laughs> if you were looking for a spicy Atlanta take outside of Garrett saying Mississippi state could find themselves there. Uh, you could. are, you are in the wrong spot. Yeah. Uh, likely, Will not, but could likely Bama over Georgia. Uh, guys, as we mentioned, we'll be doing a group of five teams and uh, independents as well. So Notre Dame fans, if you were looking for your preview in the ACC conference preview, like a lot of other podcasts do, we're getting to you. Do not worry. We will lead off. I'll go as far as to say we'll lead off Monday's episode with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Your time in the sun has come. Uh, we'll get through some other group of five teams as well. But for Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time. So long, everybody.